0: Well, good evening, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson, and this is Prophecy Night with NBW Ministries. Glad to have you along tonight. I'm coming to you uh, tonight uh, not from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado, as we usually do on Tuesday nights, but instead I'm live streaming from my uh, studio beneath the stars nestled in the tall timbers here in the Rocky Mountains. But no stars out tonight, though, as we are in the midst of a major winter storm. You know, we've had some Pretty wet, heavy snow already this afternoon, and it's still coming down. We could get as much as a foot more uh, through the night here at our elevation. In fact, as we speak, I'm looking out uh, the window and watching huge white snowflakes fall steadily and rapidly uh, and gently to the ground like you would expect them to on a a cool, uh, crisp December evening. The problem is it's April 25th, but uh, here in the mountains, I guess it doesn't really matter. Much of the front range between Denver and Colorado Springs is under a winter storm warning, so we thought it best to forego our in-person meeting at Plum Creek Chapel tonight, and uh, we just want to keep everybody safe. So instead, I'm live streaming here from the MBW Ministry headquarters, and just want to thank you for joining me tonight. Boy, do we have a lot of powerful material to cover tonight as we continue Our examination of evil spirits, what they are, uh, what they look like, and the role they play in uh, the Luciferian conspiracy. Uh, But first, a little levity. You know, uh, the deeper we go down the rabbit hole in this subject, uh, sometimes the more isolated I begin to feel. That's been true for for years as I've researched uh, the the subject of the Luciferian agenda and the conspiracy uh, to take over this world. Um, And and I suppose really uh, it's true for many Bible prophecy teachers that they can begin to feel isolated as skeptics uh, love to mock and criticize and dismiss the plain teaching of God's Word on this subject. And so I think this uh, cartoon here accurately depicts how I feel sometimes, you know, yes, you are all wrong. I mean, that's how I feel there, there may be an enormous majority rejecting and contradicting what I'm saying, but, but that's okay because, you know, sometimes the majority just means all the fools are on the same side. And when the Bible is the only standard for your beliefs, attitudes, and practices, well, uh, you can stand against any size uh, crowd, I suppose. Uh, But uh, tonight we're continuing our look at why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And uh, specifically, we introduced a a new section uh, of this study last week called How the Stage is Being Set Demonically. And, uh, you know, I mentioned last week that the next few weeks are going to be critical uh, to the overall premise of this series, uh, uh, and and uh, you know this this rise that we're seeing and otherworldly activity, spiritual, demonic activity from the dark side is is just meteoric. I mean, it seems like every day there's some new threshold that's crossed, and I scratch my head thinking, how much longer uh, can we go until the Lord uh, says enough is enough? It's everywhere. Evil spiritual interlopers are intruding into the world of time, space, and matter at rates never before seen on planet Earth. And as I mentioned last week, I don't say that flippantly, and I am well aware of the intrusion uh, that we read about and studied last week in Genesis chapter 6. And I'm uh, not just a blowing smoke when I say that I believe it's worse now than it was even then. What most people, even uh, Christians, even those who enthusiastically and seriously study eschatology, seem to miss is that at its core, Bible prophecy is about a cosmic spiritual battle in the unseen realm. And this battle is intensifying the closer we get uh, to the rapture. So uh, last week we introduced, uh, didn't really introduce because I've talked about it uh, at length for years now, uh, and we certainly uh, cover it as the main uh, theme of my Spirit of the Antichrist books. But we talked about the Luciferian conspiracy, and we talked about how Satan, according to Scripture, is conspiring with evil spirits and human accomplices uh, to try to take over the world. And this constitutes the greatest conspiracy of all time, a conspiracy, of course, being just two or more entities or people working together uh, for nefarious means, and that's certainly the case uh, here. And uh, so we're focusing at this time on the evil spirit side of this conspiracy. I've certainly uh, talked a lot about the human side of that, and we will continue to do so, and I'm going to do so in my forthcoming uh, book, uh, The Spirit of the False Prophet. But uh, for this part of our Tuesday night Prophecy Night series, we are uh, addressing the unseen realm, if you will, the evil uh, spirits. Um, You know, the, the battle essentially... It, you know, originates in the heavenly realm. That's where it started when uh, Satan tried to usurp God's control and staged a coup in, in the uh, third heaven, the abode of God, where God is, tried to take God's throne, uh, and he wanted to rise up there and, and, and take charge of everything. But, of course, God had other plans, quickly quashed that uh, coup, and uh, so Satan was uh, then setting his sights on the earth. And for the most part, as we read about in Ephesians and elsewhere, the spiritual battle uh, is, you know, originating in the heavenly realm. But the problem is the closer we get uh, to the battle of Armageddon and the final cosmic battle for control of the earth when Christ will come back and, and literally rule and reign in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, uh, the closer we get to that time, the more that battle in the heavenlies is spilling over into the earthly realm. So we're seeing more and more manifestations of, you know, not just evil, uh, that goes without saying, uh, and I'm going to talk tonight, if I get to it at the end, I want to take a moment to just explain the relationship or I guess the the correlation between purely demonic and evil spirit type activity and evil that's just, you know, the result of fallen man and and uh, bad people doing bad things. But, um, you know, the battle is is raging and we are seeing more and more glimpses on earth of the spiritual... Aspect of it, the closer we get to the return of the Lord. So last week we introduced different types of evil spirits. You know, this is uh, you know part of Satan's army. We talk a lot about Satan's earthly army, uh, but uh, we, you know his human accomplices. But what about his spiritual army? And that's what we're addressing at this point in our in our series. And we talked last week about different classes of, of evil spirits and and so on and so forth. And then we looked at uh, the role that evil spirits will play during the tribulation, demons um, uh, and the like, including the Nephilim. Uh, we, we went back to Genesis chapter 6 and went through that section verse by verse and explained uh, why I believe, anyway, the Nephilim are still very much active today. Uh, I do understand that uh, some, you know, Bible scholars who I respect uh, and share a lot of common ground with, don't take that view about the Nephilim, and that's okay. Uh, I feel very strongly about it. I've studied it for years. I remember the first time I was introduced, honestly, to the subject of the Nephilim as potentially being the offspring of uh, this, you know, unholy in- intrusion of, of fallen angels. Uh, taking on human form, cohabiting with earthly human women and producing a hybrid race of being that are not human, that are not redeemable. Uh, It was uh, almost, let's see, it would have been 1990, so 33 years ago when I was studying for my master's at Dallas Theological Seminary. I had a Hebrew professor that was going through this passage, and it blew me away because, you know, like most Bible students and Christians, if you grew up in a Christian home and you read, you know, the Bible, you have a study Bible and you read, you know, the the notes in the margin, or maybe you have a commentary and you read it about Genesis, you know, most most commentators are not going to go down this road. Uh, It's just too hard for them to get their hands around, so they do all sorts of hermeneutical gymnastics to make the text say something other than uh, it does. Uh, so uh, anyway, it was really an eye-opener for me, and I, I went in, predisposed against the view, and tried to uh, argue against it, but came away uh, you know, trying to be intellectually honest and recognizing, no, this is exactly what Scripture says. So if you haven't watched last week's video or listened to the audio on our podcast channel, go back and check that out. Uh, because we uh, we kind of covered that ground uh, pretty thoroughly last week. And then tonight, we want to get to some manifestations of evil spirits. And I had hoped to get to this uh, last week, but I'm kind of glad we didn't, because I spent some time in, over the last week really uh, diving even deeper into all this. And I, and I want to try to give you tonight a comprehensive, uh, at least I believe it's comprehensive, uh, overview of the different ways in which evil spirits. Now again, we're not talking about just plain old evil. Some bad guy doing a bad thing for some, you know, earthly, fleshly motive. Okay, that happens too. Ultimately, we understand all of it is demonic in the sense that it's part of the dark side. It's part of, you know, the the Satan's, uh, you know, agenda, if you will. But as far as direct uh, manifestations of these evil spirits, demons, fallen angels, uh, the Nephilim, and so forth. Uh, I want to categorize these into several uh, categories, so hopefully we'll get through most of these tonight. If not, we'll pick up uh, where we left off uh, last week. By the way, I apologize that due to the inclement weather and and us not being able to meet together in person, uh, we won't be able to have our Q&A but uh, if you do have a burning question in the course of uh, my uh, presentation tonight, uh, I encourage you to maybe try to text me. I uh, can't promise that I'll see it or that I'll have the time to, to look at it, but uh, who knows, at the very least, I'll have it and we can look at it next week. But uh, the first manifestation or the first uh, you know category, if you will, uh, in fact, before we even get to that, let me... Uh, Let me just take a moment to pray because we're going to talk about some pretty heavy stuff tonight. And I know from experience when we we talk about the devil and his army and, and our enemy, that it kind of riles them up. And uh, I just want to p- cover what we're going to talk about tonight in prayer, ask for guidance and wisdom and, and understanding as we look at these scriptures and uh, and go through this material tonight. So let's take a moment just to pray. Father, I do lift up uh, our time together tonight, Lord. We uh, We want to uh, just ask you to to go before us, protect us, uh, give us wisdom and understanding as we uh, dive into your word and try to categorize some of the manifestations of Satan's army. Lord, we know that his army ultimately is impotent, uh, that uh, uh, we're in the Lord's army, we're in your army, and we know who wins in the end. So, Father, we know you've not given us a spirit of fear. We know greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We know that Satan received the mortal wound at Calvary, and he's never ever going to be able to overcome it. Nevertheless, it can be pretty uh, unsettling sometimes to recognize just how prevalent, especially these days, uh, the evil manifestations are. So Lord, go before us, use this time, uh, give us clarity, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first type of manifestation of an evil spirit is what I'm putting in the broad category of what we call shapeshifters, or uh, also known as skinwalkers. I have a whole chapter on this in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, so that's chapter 10. Uh, actually, it's a whole section within that chapter dealing with uh, shapeshifters and uh, skinwalkers. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean that a demonic spirit is able to take on animal or human form. So there's two types of of shape-shifting, You can take on an animal form. You can take on a human form. Sometimes you can take on both. You can go back and forth. You can manifest as a human being, a, a demon can, and then shapeshift into an animal form, and then go back into the spiritual <clears throat> realm. Now, as crazy as that may sound to some of you, let me provide some biblical context for the concept that angelic beings can, in fact. Manifest as humans, and we've talked about this before, but uh, let's uh, you know, let's go ahead and and, and take a look at it uh, again, just for the sake of uh, you know, really uh, clarity and 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 making sure that uh, we nail this down. So let's go back to Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, and so forth. Um, and uh, you know, uh, he we read in chapter 19, verse 4. Now before they lay down, this is angelic messengers, uh, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 19, it talks about how uh, these two angels had come to visit. And, uh, and he says, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, these were uh, perverse, unbelieving men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Now, remember, these are angels. In this particular case, we're dealing with good angels, not fallen angels. But nevertheless, they had manifested as human beings. Uh, we don't often think about shape-shifting in the sense of good angels, but you know, at the strict, in the strictest sense, that's what's happening. They shifted from their spirit form into a physical form, and when they do that, they have. Uh, just like the fallen angels did that we read about in Genesis six, uh, they have all of the components of uh, the materialistic aspect of man, the biological aspect of man. So if you were to cut them, they would bleed. If you were to slap them, they would hurt. If you were to cut off their arm, they, they would you know you would see the bone and so forth. So but here's these two angels visiting Lot. They look like men, so much so that these homosexuals there in Sodom wanted to take them and have their way with them. In fact, that's what the text goes on to say at the end of verse five, bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now, if you know anything about the new King James or the old King James to know uh, someone meant to have sex with them. So these angels look so much like men that the homosexuals wanted uh, to have sex with them. Another uh, proof text indicating the reality of the fact that angelic beings, good and bad, can manifest as human beings. Uh, we go back to Genesis 6, and this, of course, was when fallen angels took on human form and essentially raped uh, the women. And, and by the way, someone emailed me a, gr- a great question, which I responded to this week, wondering, you know, were the women complicit in this, you know, unholy, uh, uh, you know, in, in unholy alliance, if you will, between the fallen angels and the, and the earthly women? Uh, I don't think they were. I think the sense that you get here in Genesis where it says they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, of course, there's some cultural things there in the ancient Near East and uh, the patriarchal society and so forth, but still, you just get the sense that this was a targeted attack, not some kind of a thing where these fallen angels just integrated into the society and, you know, went to school and fell in love and took these women to the prom and decided to get married. No, no, I, this was a evil uh, you know intrusion from its inception, and that's what uh, that's what they did. So here, this is the opposite of what we just read about in Genesis 19. You've got demons manifesting as men and wanting to have sex with women, as opposed to good angels manifesting as men and being lusted over by evil human men. Uh, but in any case, we see uh, that uh, you know these angelic beings can manifest in human form. So as we talk about shape-shifting, I want to go uh, through a list of things, some of which you may have heard of, some of which you may not have. But I've uh, been studying this for a long time. And again, I touch on it briefly in, uh, you know, I deal with the shape-shifting and skinwalkers at length in chapter 10, but I also touch on some other uh, types of manifestations that might broadly be put under the category of cryptids. Uh, cryptid, you know, this w- weird, you know, class of biological being or what people assume is biological. We know that it's not. It's spiritual or dimensional, uh, demonic, uh, that we really don't have a class for. We really don't have a category for. Uh, so. Uh, at the risk of you know, being uh, you know, thought even crazier than I, uh, I am, you know, again, it uh, doesn't really bother me because, yes, I really think if you disagree with me on this, that you, are, uh, you are wrong. But let's take a look at uh, a few of these types of manifestations of evil spirits under the category of shape-shifting or taking on human or animal form. In this case, let's talk about uh, animal form. So uh, you've got, of course, Bigfoot. Now, Bigfoot sort of falls into that category of UFOs, where for years, uh, you know, people who studied this in a scientific, academic way and wrote about it were considered nuts and tinfoil hat weirdos. Uh, But the, the evidence is overwhelming, just as it is for UFOs. The question isn't, do these uh, creatures uh, these cryptids exist the question is what are they and as i describe in the book we have a whole section on bigfoot as well uh, i believe these are manifestations of demons these are shape shifting uh, demonic entities that uh, appear uh, you know on earth and uh, they there's a lot of different reasons for it we've a lot of researchers have you know given you know anecdotal evidence and eyewitness testimony of what they're doing and why they might be doing it, uh, but you see them all over the world. By the way, uh, they're particularly uh, prevalent in certain parts of the United States, and uh, such as the Pacific Northwest, and uh, you know the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of East Tennessee and Georgia, and that area, Northern Georgia. Uh, you see them some in some places in Minnesota. You see them all over. I'm leaving out quite a few. You see them a lot in California, in the in the mountains of California. Uh, they've been known to be seen in the mountains of Colorado, um, but the reality is they're they're seen everywhere. Also known as you know Sasquatch or the Yeti or the Yowie. That's the Australian Bigfoot. Uh, so you know, don't rather than be dismissive when people talk about things that the mainstream media doesn't really want you to talk about, look into it, because uh, the the reality is you know the Bible clearly talks about this concept of. Of demonic spirits taking on human and animal form, and this could very well be what we're dealing with here. Now, the next one is really fascinating to me, and that's Mothman. Now, some of you probably are familiar with the uh, story out of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That's on the western side of of West Virginia, right on the Ohio border. Uh, there, sort of the northwest, but not up in that little panhandle part. But uh, Anyway, this uh, occurred November fifteenth, nineteen sixty-six, and there were multiple sightings all the way through the next year, um, and really fascinating. I started studying this uh, again probably fifteen years ago after I'd begun to wake up to the reality of the world and the you know the, the the fact that most of the historical narratives we've been told were not true, and that Satan is the great deceiver, and we're living in the great day, last days of deception. Uh, but I, I you know I spent. A couple of years really going down the road of these types of uh, studies and it was really you know fascinating to me. Um, so this was uh, going back 1966. Uh, the first newspaper report by the way was published the next day. So the sighting was the first sighting was November 15th on the 16th of November 1966. The uh, Point Pleasant <coughs> Register excuse me, uh, on the cover page there, you see it right there on the, the, you know, the main page talks about how couples saw a man-sized bird creature or something. So the story is two young couples from Point Pleasant, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Stephen Mary Mallett, told police they had seen a large white creature whose eyes glowed red standing at the side of the road near the TNT area, the site of a a former World War II munitions plant. And uh, just reading a little bit from the article, which you can still find uh, in the archives online, uh, the article says, Both were slightly pale and tired from lack of sleep during the night following their harrowing experience. They speculated that the thing was living in the vacant power plant, possibly in one of the huge boilers. Quote, they are pigeons in, There are pigeons in all other buildings, Mallet said, but not in that one. Scarborough commented, if I had seen it while by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it, end quote. They said it, it did not resemble a bat in any way, but maybe what you would visualize as an angel, quote, unquote. Now, that's very interesting. Here are these f- two couples, four people, nothing to gain. Uh, they were terrified. You can go back and read more of the eyewitness accounts right after the fact as they reported it to the police and so forth. Uh, And these were, you know, they were really shaken, but in their mind, they thought they were looking at something angelic. Very interesting. Well, the last time they encountered it was at the gate of the uh, C.C. Lewis farm on Route 62. They heard a sound like wings flapping, and they said the bird rose straight up like a helicopter. And uh, Mallet said, this does not have an explanation to it. It was an animal, but nothing like I've ever seen before. Uh, when they were asked are they going to go back to look for the creature this was by the newspaper reporter Mallet said yes this afternoon and again tonight I mean note how this really affected them they were drawn back to it they just this wasn't some obscure thing that they might have seen it might have been this is a very real tangible encounter that caused them to want to know more and try to figure it out by the way Scarborough uh, said, uh, Today, yes, I'll go back, but tonight, I don't know. <laughs> he was a little shaken up. Uh, uh, so the, the creature, this Mothman, was introduced uh, to a wider audience first in 1970 by a guy named Gray Barker in his book, The Silver Bridge, the classic Mothman tale, but really it gained widespread notoriety by uh, John Keel in his 1975 book. The Mothman Prophecies. It was a New York Times bestseller, and uh, Keel in his book, claimed that there were supernatural events related to the sightings. Uh, There was something supernatural or spiritual about it. He also believed and explained in the book that there was a connection to the collapse of the Silver Bridge. So on December 15th, 1967, uh, which was sort of the last uh, time that, you know, there was that the end of that one year flurry of activity of, of sightings of the Mothman around that area. But uh, tragically, on that date, December 15th, 1967, the silver bridge that spans the Ohio River collapsed uh, during rush hour traffic and resulted in the deaths of 46 people, two of whom were never found, by the way, it crashed, that collapsed into uh, the river. And so many of you may know that uh, Keel's book was later uh, made into a film in 2002, starring Richard Gere, Will Patton, Laura Linney, and Alan Bates. Bates and Gere are two main characters that really represent separate parts of John Keel's personality. Uh, Bates' character is named Leek, which of course is Keel backwards. Uh, And then uh, Richard Gere was a newspaper journalist in the movie, and his character is named John Klein, also kind of a a play on Keel's name. But John Keel, uh, I've read a lot of his stuff, researched him for years. He's very well known in the UFO uh, community. But he concluded that the extraterrestrial hypothesis regarding UFOs was untenable. They weren't extraterrestrial. And he had a profound influence on J. Allen Hynek and Jacques Vallée, who eventually also arrived at the same uh, conclusion. And in Kiel's uh, famous book, Operation Trojan Horse, he used the term ultra-terrestrials to describe uh, UFO occupants that he believed were non-human entities capable of taking on whatever form they want, including monsters, ghosts, demons, fairies, other anomalous creatures, uh, some of which we're going to talk about tonight. Poltergeists, balls of light, orbs. You've probably heard a lot about the orbs that have been in the news. Uh, Of course, this is nothing new. Just just remember that what what we're now seeing reported uh, ever since uh, December 16, 2017 in the the famous New York Times article that broke the story, as well as uh, uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, By the way, speaking of Tucker Carlson, I've had many of you email me wondering what my thoughts were on his departure from Fox News. I plan to share that tomorrow, with uh, our world events update with Randy uh, so i'm going to talk a little bit at least give you my thoughts i don't have any inside information i'm just going to give you my uh, speculation based on you know years of studying uh, the luciferian conspiracy and the mainstream media and, and kind of how they relate but anyway uh, people have you know now become quite uh, accustomed and acquainted with the whole ufo phenomena even if before it would have been considered taboo but for many uh, people myself included, that have been studying UFOs for, you know, 15 years in my case, and many people have studied them for decades, uh, the concept of orbs is not anything new. We've been talking about it quite often. Uh, but one more thing before we move on off of the, the, the Mothman cryptid as being a demonic manifestation of some form. Uh, I want to just give you a quote from John Keel. Uh, he said in uh, his book, Uh, or I think this was actually in an article. He said, quote, I abandoned the extraterrestrial hypothesis in 1967 when my own field investigations, this would be coinciding with the Point Pleasant Mothman experience, when my own field investigations disclosed an astonishing overlap between psychic phenomena and UFOs. So he began to make the connection between UFOs and something otherworldly, not of a terrestrial concept, not Martians or little green men from another planet, but something of a psychic uh, phenomena. And he said, quote, the objects and apparitions do not necessarily originate on another planet and may not even exist as permanent constructions of matter. And that was just fascinating to me in light of our study, because that's what shape-shifting is. It's when a demonic evil spirit takes on a human or animal form for a period of time for a purpose, but can then shapeshift back into the spiritual realm. Now, when we talk about animal, uh, you know, shapeshifts, uh, you know, skinwalkers, that kind of thing, uh, and I get into the history of that term skinwalker in the book, uh, fascinating story there from Native American lore uh, and a tragic story as well. I encourage you to read that in chapter 10. Uh, but when we're talking about animal manifestations of, you know, demons taking on animal form, uh, we're talking essentially about a chimeric activity. Now, I'm going to get into chimera as a concept. This is not, by the way, a cryptid. This is a general uh, term, uh, meaning any, you know, any being that consists of diverse genetic composition. So uh, we're going to talk more about this. Perhaps next week, certainly in the weeks to come, as I continue down this road of manifestations of evil and uh, setting the stage demonically, because really what the transhumanists and the Luciferians are trying to do is to create, you know, you know, bio-digital convergence of animal, human, you know, uh, digital, if you will, uh, you know, types of beings. They're creating. A chimera, chimeras, which is no different than what the fallen angels did in Genesis 6. They're trying to create a weird class of a being that is non-human. Uh, so we'll come back to that, but that, that's the broad category for the types of creatures that we're going to be uh, talking about here for the next few minutes as we talk about shape-shifting. So uh, let's talk first about Chupacabra. 1975 is when these arose, and let's not forget the the, broad, the big picture here. I, I I sometimes am so structured in the way I go through things that I forget people might get lost in terms of where we are on the roadmap. So we're talking here about why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And I'm suggesting that, as I do in my Spirit of the Antichrist books, that the closer we get to the return of the Lord, we're going to see an upsurge in the spirit of the Antichrist, one of which is this spirit of phenomena, this spirit of demonic activity. And so a lot of these things that we're talking about are fairly recent uh, in the realm of church history and even, of course, human history. So, you know, we talked about Mothman in the 60s. Now we're talking about the chupacabra. 1975 in Puerto Rico, a little small town called Mocha. And uh, there were a series of livestock killings that were very bizarre. I mean, the animals were uh, bled dry through a series of small circular incisions, not unlike a cattle mutilation phenomena that's been going on again for centuries, but in earnest in in a huge upsurge uh, since the early 80s. And I have a section in the books on cattle or cattle mutilations or animal mutilations. But this is something similar because it coincided with sightings of this creature, and uh, that was eventually dubbed the chupacabra by a, I think it was a either a journalist in Puerto Rico. Somebody in Puerto Rico first started writing about it and coined that phrase, and that's what they've been, you know, come to be known as this 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 weird creature, where in a similar vein to Bigfoot, uh, you just they appear, they seem to be associated with evil, uh, and uh, they have spread. So it, you know, after the incidents that were reported in Puerto Rico. You started to hear more and more of them since 1975, all across uh, South America, in places like Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Central America, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama. And then, you know, uh, they they crossed the border, and now they've been seen in parts of the United States, especially down in South Texas, where they came across the Mexican border. What is a chupacabra? Uh, I'm here to tell you that if you look through the lens of Scripture, the existence of these creatures that have been, you know, seen across, you know, multiple continents, uh, across multiple decades by unrelated individuals who give the same exact, you know, description, uh, you know, that's demonic. I I think it is a manifestation in a shape-shifting sort of way of a demonic spirit manifesting as uh, an animal here's one you may not have heard of the thunderbird uh, that's a fascinating uh story i mentioned it just in passing in the books but it's just this giant bird that uh like uh, your traditional birds of prey has uh you know is predatory in nature has been you know known to attack but it's enormous uh, uh, and then you know we could talk about creatures like slenderman uh that's fairly new that's uh, i think in the 2000s that that first came up. And again, you have multiple reports. It started in America, by the way, uh, of people seeing this. Uh, and what is it? You know, that's the question. Or Hatman, another fairly recent manifestation. Now, these are both, you know, hard to know. With Slender Man, it could certainly be an animal shapeshift. Uh, Hat Man would be probably more taking on some type of human form. Uh, but if you get into Wolf Man, <laughs> Uh, Again, these are just examples of, you know, demonic spirits taking on some type of uh, human uh, or animal form. Uh, And then you've got, you know, some other famous ones that I just thought I would throw in because, frankly, if I didn't, people would email me and say, well, what about this? What about that? Well, listen, there's dozens of you know, cryptids out there that uh, are fascinating to look into. Uh, But starting uh, from the top left and just moving down, uh, I guess, counterclockwise, uh, in the top left, you've got uh, Champ, which is uh, sort of the American version of the Loch Ness Monster. It's uh, from uh, Lake Champlain up there in uh, New York. And uh, actually, I guess it crosses over into Vermont, and there have been sightings on both the sections of that huge lake up there. So it's called Champ after Lake Champlain. Right below that, uh, you see Ogopogo, that's the Canadian version of the Loch Ness monster up in British Columbia in Okanagan Lake. And then, of course, the most famous picture, there have been others, but the most famous uh, picture of Loch Ness is in the bottom right on your screen there. That's, of course, from Scotland and the uh, uh, Lake Ness. Loch, of course, just a Scottish word for lake. Uh, and then at the top right, you see fairies. You know, fairies are not something that just originates with Disney. I mean, fairies go back centuries and even millennia uh, with, uh, you know, these manifestations. And I believe they are uh, demonic. And then uh, we could talk about the traditional uh, grays or sometimes called the Roswell grays, because that's where they get the most attention from the Roswell incident in 1947, June of 1947. I detail that extensively in chapter 9 of uh, volume two, Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, But these, uh, you know, you get reports all across the world from various people uh, that, you know, describe something like these pictures here, which are artists rendering based on eyewitness uh, accounts. Uh, By the way, sometimes you'll see it spelled uh, G-R-A-Y-S. So again, these, I believe, are not Martians or aliens and I, you know, and I respect the ufologists out there who have studied this in far greater detail than I have. I'm not a ufologist. I'm more of a UFO enthusiast because of my understanding of uh, the spiritual battle that's going on and the Luciferian agenda and how that, you know, the UFOs play a role in that. So I respect those who might disagree. But I'm a biblicist first, and I, I just have to run everything through the lens of Scripture. And we see plenty of biblical evidence. That uh, demonic spirits can manifest in some type of human or animal form. We do not see any evidence in the Bible that there are multiple universes, multiple you know human races and other races and things like that. Another interesting uh, manifestation here that is more of a human form is the famous MIBs, you know, Men in Black. I'm sure some of you saw the 1997 movie, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, a very big blockbuster. Um, But these are you know, pretty well documented, extremely well documented actually, but pretty fascinating uh, you know, story. So the, when it comes to this idea of, of demonic manifestations, the MIBs are men that are typically dressed in dark suits uh, with hats, and they claim to be sort of quasi-government agents. and they come and they question and interrogate and harass and threaten, uh, people who have had encounters with uh, UFOs. So this goes back to Project uh, Blue Book and Project Grudge and the other ones that I talk about in Chapter 9 of Spirit of the Antichrist. And, you know, they would were apparently... Uh, there to try to somehow manipulate those, and even memory hole, in some cases, wipe out their memories. That was part of the plot of the the movie, and remember, art imitates life, uh, and so that's why they wrote the movie that way, is that these uh, manifestations, these men in black, uh, would even assassinate, in some cases, UFO witnesses to keep them from spreading what they were talking about. Now, you know, I don't know exactly, I don't think we ever will, maybe maybe when we get to heaven, what role they specifically play in this demonic intrusion. I believe it has something to do with uh, the, you know, Satan's reconnaissance mission, the whole reason that he started sending more and more demons into the atmospheric realm uh, after World War II. And, you know, that's how I explain the whole UFO phenomena in in the book. So you can go back and read that, but I think it centers on, you know, Israel becoming a nation again. So that got Satan's attention, as well as the atomic bombs would have gotten his attention as well. And uh, so he just kind of ramped up his interaction with the realm of time, space, and matter on earth. And I think that somehow they play a role in that. I, I don't know exactly what it was. I do not believe that these are actually FBI members. I, that wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them. Certainly, you know, the, the FBI uh, and, you know, the uh, uh, armed services, uh, you know, the Pentagon and some of the other groups that were out there investigating uh, this, the Air Force and so forth, uh, these UFO sightings might have had a reason to keep people quiet. But there are too many details that don't fit with a normal human being. You know, just the way they came and go. They disappear. They just don't act, uh, act human. So MIB to me is another example in the broader section of of, uh, shape shifting. Now this next one I want to talk about is a little spooky. And I remember first learning about this uh, about 10 years after, maybe 12 years after it first happened, the first incident. Uh, And it really was amazing, Uh, a, a, a real descent even further into the rabbit hole. Uh, of this truly evil manifestation of, I believe, shape-shifting demons taking on human form. Uh, Some of you are probably familiar with this. It's gotten enough, uh, you know, uh, sort of notoriety in in the last uh, 10, 15 years. But perhaps you haven't. And if you haven't, uh, just hang on to your hats here. So we're talking here about B.E.K.s, or black-eyed kids, and uh, this first sort of burst onto the scene in Abilene, Texas in 1996. It's sort of the first modern account, anyway. Although, like many things, uh, if you go back and do the research, uh, you start to find allusions to what very well could be in this category of BEK, black eyed uh, kids. Well, what are they? Well, first of all, they are, as you can see on uh, the screen here, they are. Uh, children uh, who usually appear in groups of two or four, and by all accounts, they're somewhere between the ages of eight to maybe the late teens, maybe 16, 17, something like that. But they're characterized, among other things, most notably by their dark black eyes. The whole eye is completely black. Uh, So we, we have several examples of this. We uh, you know, these are artists rendering, again, of eyewitness accounts. Uh, but they always wear clothes that seem to be outdated or wrong for the season. They appear out of nowhere suddenly. They speak oddly as if it isn't their native language. Uh, they're monotonal in some ways. They, they, they're they very demanding and pushy. And what they try to do is request entry into uh, your home, or your car, or wherever you you are at the m- moment, and they they ha- they can't come in unless they're invited in, and and then you know if you're smart you don't let them in, um, and you know people have have uh, reported being over just overcome by this aura of extreme fear and terror when these things appear. Uh, They can also disrupt uh, electrical uh, electrical devices, which is another indication of some type of dimensional or demonic uh, presence. We're going to talk about poltergeist a little bit uh, later. But uh, so really fascinating stuff. And I want to just tell you how, uh, you know, if I I may read uh, Brian Bethel's firsthand account, he was a journalist from Abilene that kind of Uh, really had a profound encounter. And then there have been many, many more since then. Again, this was in 1996, the first modern manifestation of a B.E.K. or Black Eyed Kids. You can buy books about this. You can read, uh, you know, scientific research into it. Uh, True, uh, you know, journalists that really, uh, you know, love to examine and research stuff. They, you know, dug deep and talked to people, uh, not just in America, but all over the world. But it started in, uh, in Texas. So, Here's Brian Bethel's account. I'm not necessarily going to read the whole thing, but I want to skip, uh, you know, run through it just to kind of give you an idea of what this encounter might look like. Because again, we're seeing an upsurge in this. You know, this one started in 1996 and we're we're likely to see more. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that someone listening to this podcast or watching this video down the road may encounter a BEK. And you need to understand you're, you're dealing with something uh, pretty evil when this happens. Uh, so he begins, uh, this is Brian Bethel, Abilene, Texas. As so many things do, it all started out innocently. My internet service provider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their uh, new accommodations. And there was a drop box at that original location and the monthly bill was due. And so, uh, I decided I would, uh, go drop the check in, uh, the box. Uh, those of you that, uh, are old enough to remember that's what you used to have to pay your municipality bills, water, electric, so forth, internet service and so forth uh, that way. So he says it was about 930 in the evening when I left. Uh, uh, it, it's about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to downtown Abilene where he was headed. And it, it, right next to the uh, Camelot Communications old location is a, a movie theater that had a $1.50 movies. Remember the old Dollar Cinemas we thought it was a big deal when they went when they became dollar fifty cinemas. That was a fifty percent increase for Wendy and I when we, we wanted to go to the cheap the cheap movies. You know, they would they would take movies, they would premiere them, and back then they were five, six dollars, so maybe seven dollars a movie. Now of course it's what, 15 dollars to go see a movie. I don't know why you wanna pay that. But anyway, uh so we would always wait till they would get pushed to the dollar cinema after they had had their run, uh, you know, in their first release. Uh, but anyway, he, this was next to a $1.50 movie theater. Um, and he says he remembers that at the time the f- theater was showing the mo- the film mo- Mortal Kombat. So he says, I drove by the theater on the way to the center and, uh, and pulled into an empty parking spot. And he said, using the glow of the marquee to write out my check, I was writing my check out. And then I'm going to hop out and put it in the car. And then I heard a knock on my window, the driver's side window. And he said, I looked up and saw two children staring at me from the street. Uh, this is his account. He says, I need to describe them. He said, uh, of course, they had the one main feature, the black eyes. Uh, but he didn't really realize that until about halfway through the conversation, just because it was dark. And they always, they tend to wear hoodies as well. Uh, but he said, both appeared to be in that semi-mystical stage of life children get into where you can't exactly tell their age. <laughs> But they were both boys, and my initial impression was that they were somewhere between 10 and 14. Boy number one was the spokesman. Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not in words. Boy number one was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover, hooded shirt, with a sort of gray checked pattern and jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive colored and had curly, medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin with a trace of freckles. His primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color, and his hair was sort of a pale orange. They did not appear to be related, at least as far as Brian thought. Uh, Oh, uh, let's see. I'm just trying to skip ahead to the pertinent uh, part. But he said... uh, uh, Oh great! I thought to myself, they're going to hit me up for money. You know, they want to go see a movie, a late show, or something. They want money. But he said, then the air changed, and he's writing in this account. He says, I've explained this before, but for the benefit of any new uh, folks out there, uh, right before uh, I experienced something strange, there's there was a change in perception that uh, comes about, and uh, it sort of indicates that something bad's about to happen. So there I was filling out a check in my car, which he said was still running, and a sudden panic over the appearance of two little boys. I was confused, but I was had an overwhelming sense of fear and unearthliness. Uh, he said the spokesman smiled, and the sight for some inexplicable reason chilled my blood. I could feel a fight-or-flight response kicking in, something I knew instinctively was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, yes, you know, yes, what can I do for you kind of thing. Uh, the spokesman, a boy number one, uh, smiled again, broader this time. His teeth were very, very white. And he said, hey, mister, what's up? We have a problem. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction quiet, calm, and something I still couldn't put my finger on made my desire to flee even greater. He he went on, you see, my friend and I want to see the films, but we forgot our money. He continued, we need to go to our house to get it. Want to help us out? Now, you know, this is Brian, a journalist and he's, he's, he says journalists are required to talk to lots of people and that includes children and I've seen and spoken to lots of them. and here's how that usually goes. Um, um, Mr um, uh, can I see that camera? Um, I won't break it or anything. I promise. My dad has a camera and he lets me hold it sometimes, I guess. and I took a picture of my dog and it wasn't very good because I got a finger in the way and, you know, but in some feet shuffling or body swaying uh, you know way, you, you see, You know, kids act, you know, routinely the same way when they're talking to a stranger. Uh, But this kid was in no way fitting that mold. His command of the language was incredible. He showed no signs of fear. He spoke as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as if he was trying to say, I know something and you're not going to like it. But the only way you're going to find out what it is will be to do exactly what I say. So the best reply I could offer was, uh, well, and then Brian inserts, this is where it starts to get strange. The quiet companion looked at the spokesman with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. And he seemed in some ways shocked, not with his friend's brusque manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. It's amazing. I'm just interjecting my own thoughts here. It's amazing how you can intuit so much when you're in the midst of a spiritual encounter of some kind you know you just god gives us that ability in the spirit if you're a believer uh, you can recognize with a check in your spirit when something's not right Uh, so he eyed this is brian continuing he eyed me nervously the spokesman seemed a bit perturbed too and i still was registering something wrong with both of them come on mister the spokesman said again smooth as silk Car salesman could learn something from this kid, Brian adds. Uh, Now, we just want to go to our house. We're just two little boys, the spokesman continued. Now, that really scared me, Brian said. Something in the tone and diction, again, sent off alarm bells. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was that I was perceiving about these two figures that was wrong. Uh, Um, was all I could manage. I felt myself digging my fingernails into the steering wheel without even intending to do so. So finally I asked, well, what movie were you going to see? The spokesman said, Mortal Kombat, of course. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said, I stole a quick glance at the marquee and at the clock in my car, Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour, the last showing of the evening. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected that I might be detecting something was not above board. Come on, Mister, let us in. We can't get in your car until you do. Until you do, you know, you know, just let us in. We'll be gone before you know it. We'll get to go to our mother's house. And this is when Brian says we locked eyes, and to my horror, I realized my hand had strayed toward the door lock, which was engaged and was in the process of opening it. I quickly pulled away my hand, probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. And when I turned back, I offered "Er, er-um weekly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black, no pupil, no iris, just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I know my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face in a combination that seemed to indicate either A, the impossible had just happened, and B, we've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light, and he said, "'Come on, mister, we won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun.'" That last statement scared the living heck out of me. He didn't say heck. I'm trying to clean it up a bit here. Uh, Because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, we don't need a gun. (laughs) He noticed my hand shifting down toward the gear shift. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole and yet contained, in some respects, a hint of panic. Loudly, he said, we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse. Thank goodness there was no one behind me. I tore out of the parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision, and I stole a a quick glance back, and they were gone. The sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Uh, Had anyone tried to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. I bolted into my house, scanning all around the whole way, including the sky, wondering what did I see. Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride. And maybe some really, they were wearing some really weird contacts. But whatever it was, it was scary. So, you know, that's, that's that kind of story, again, in multiple jurisdictions all across the globe has been repeated. Sometimes it's a knock on the door. Can we come in and have cookies? Sometimes it's at your car. They just appear out of nowhere and disappear out of nowhere. And that's yet another example of a manifestation, I think, demonically. Now, uh, before we wrap up, I definitely want to get to this because I promised it last week. And that is, I want to talk, you know, we've talked a lot already tonight about manifestations of demons where they can take on human or animal form but now let's talk on another activity of demons, and that is demon possession and demon influence. And so I want to go through some scriptures uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where we see uh, demon possession, and just make some observations. And even though these passages are descriptive and not prescriptive, it makes sense that you know they would uh, you know be you know if they were examples once of what demon possession might look like that we might see this again. So several things that we can conclude, uh, you know, what are some indications that you might be dealing with demon possession or demon influence even, uh, you know, and, and that kind uh, of thing. So let's go first to Mark chapter five, the unclean spirit. Uh, the text says, then they came to the other side of the sea, and this is the demon, uh, the Gadarene demoniac, uh, to the co- uh, country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, he immediately immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit the word unclean here means impure in thought or deed which is a good description of you know the influence of demons demons are unclean they're impure in thought and deed and so if they're influencing or possessing a real human being so again we're talking here about real humans not you know hybrids or Uh, shapeshifters, but real humans that have been, that have encountered a demon and the demon has either indwelt them, possessed them, or is influencing them. So the first thing we see is that demonic activity is going to be impure in its thought and its Actions And I don't have examples for all of these, but I came across this and I thought, if this isn't the perfect example of the confluence of satanic, demonic, you know, unclean sexual impurity and deviance, I don't know what is. But this uh, relates to rapper Lil Nas X. I don't follow that genre, so I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, But anyway, uh, he uh, created a... uh, you know, using a pair of Nikes, he modified them uh, and created his own uh, shoes. He created 666 of them to sell for $1,018 each, and each of the shoes had a an inverted cross, a pentagram, and the words Luke 1018, which, of course, if you know your Bible is where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning uh, from heaven. And what's really bizarre is that these Satan shoes, as he called them, contain a drop of real human blood in the soles. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And, and, And to show you that there's such an upsurge in this type of unclean activity, demonic activity and influence, the shoes sold out in less than one minute when they hit the market online. 666 pairs. Lil Nas, of course, is openly gay. uh, And uh, he has released some of the sickest, disgusting music videos in the industry. And that's saying a lot because, of course, the music industry puts out a lot of just horrific satanic stuff. Uh, So let's go back to Mark 5. Notice he was dwelling among the tombs. Uh, Often demonic activity is indicated by a preoccupation with death. You know, we already know that Satan and his followers love death. And so if a demon is going to possess or influence another human being, by the way, let me just clarify, uh, uh, demons cannot indwell or possess believers because the Holy Spirit's already taken up residence there, but they can influence, they can attack, they can come against, that kind of thing. Um. that's why we're given the spiritual warfare and uh, spiritual armor, rather, in Scripture to fight spiritual warfare. And we're told, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But as far as unbelievers, they can be indwelt. They can be uh, possessed. Uh, but uh, those that are under the influence of demons in one way or the other might show a preoccupation with death. Uh, and I encourage you, by the way, to go back and uh, check out my uh Presentation from the Orlando Prophecy Summit, which is available at prophecywatchers.com. Uh, it was called Depopulation, uh, it was called Bloodlust, the Luciferian Depopulation Agenda. And a very powerful example of this preoccupation with death and the depopulation agenda. Um uh, I encourage you to get all of the videos from that conference. I don't have uh, control over those. Those uh, are part of the Prophecy Watchers ministry, a fantastic ministry. But there were some amazing videos that you can get from ProphecyWatchers.com. I do have the audio only, not the video, but the audio available on our podcast channel. So if you go back a couple of months, uh, you'll find it there. I think it was in March. Uh, But let's uh, move on, continuing here with the story of the Gadarene demoniac uh, uh, in Mark chapter 5. He said, uh because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken. So another manifestation that we see of, uh, you know, demonic activity that a demon might be at play here, either influencing or indwelling a human being is the presence of unusual ability or superhuman strength of some kind. Now this next clip I think it's less than a minute. It is really bizarre. I mean this will uh this will get your attention but it's it's a uh, a nanny cam or a baby cam, a baby monitor if you will, a video monitor that the parents uh, had in the room for their baby and it shows this baby standing on the edge of the crib. Unreal. Watch this.
1: Is this toddler possessed? Listen to his plaintive wail as he balances himself on his crib. And those eyes, they're glowing. Imagine the surprise Little Connor Booth's parents felt when they saw the nanny cam video. First he climbs up the side of his crib, then does the impossible, steadying himself on the top rail for a remarkable 22 seconds before falling backwards onto the mattress. Look at the title on YouTube possessed baby. Gotta be fake, right? Actually, no. Say parents, Chuck and Kate Booth. Is this real or not? Oh, it's a hundred percent real. It is definitely real. Is Connor possessed? Cause we see those glowing eyes. They're a little bit freaky. That's just the night vision on the camera. <laughs> yeah. Can you
2: open your head all the way around?
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to make of that, but, uh, you know, in a normal convention, there's no way that a toddler or child of that age is going to be able to balance for what they say 20 30 seconds on that crib. So, are we dealing with something supernatural here? Are we dealing with unusual ability or supernatural strength? Could it have been some type of demonic presence? That's just, you know, I don't know, but that's just an illustration of. One of the characteristics we read from the Gospels. Uh, then we also know that neither could anyone tame uh, this uh, demoniac, uh, and uh, so often you see demons, you know, displaying wild and unrestrained behavior, or he was crying out. So again, they will often exhibit loud screaming or shrieking if there's some type of demonic uh, presence involved, either indwelling, uh, you know, possessing. Or some type of influence. And again, I, th- these are just examples. This is not, uh, you know, prescriptive here. It's not, not something where the Bible says this is guarantee a, a manifestation of a demon. Uh, but, you know, if we if we create a list, as I'm doing here, of all of the characteristics from biblical examples, it might heighten our awareness of the fact that when we're dealing with something strange, if these types of things are present, You know, you should at least ask the question Am I dealing with some type of demonic activity? Now, this next clip is from a supermarket in China that uh, I think manifests this exact type of uh, demonic behavior.
1: A woman appears to become possessed while shopping in a supermarket, and the apparent incident was all captured on surveillance. As shoppers in China attempted to assist her, she let out a loud scream, frightening the onlookers. The video was posted on China's version of YouTube, and thousands of viewers are circulating the footage online. While we can't admit that the video is kind of creepy, its authenticity can't be verified. With some people commenting that it could be staged.
0: Yeah, you know, their YouTube channel uh, or their, their their YouTube service, uh, you know, getting tons of hits. And of course, people are going to say, well, that could be fake. Well, it could be. Uh, I mean, my uh, gut feeling is just watching the video that it, it doesn't appear to be fake. Uh, it appears like something beyond this woman's control is happening. And certainly the other shoppers there that are looking on. Uh, <laughs> Interestingly, taking you know selfies or taking pictures—I don't know what you call it—but these days, anytime something happens, uh, they all pull out their phones. Of course, that one fella truly tried uh, to help, but we don't know any of the context of this. This could be, as the commentator said, uh, fake. We don't know, but I just thought it was possibly a real-life illustration of what we saw uh, in Mark chapter five with the loud, uh, loud screaming. Now, uh, in Mark chapter nine, this is the man whose son had a mute spirit. Uh, We read, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So another manifestation, or I guess I should say characteristic of potential demonic activity could be convulsions, spasmodic contractions, or bodily contortions. Uh, He fell on the ground and wallowed. So you could see, you know, a person who's being influenced by a demon, or come under demonic attack, or perhaps possessed by a demon if they're an unbeliever, flailing and rolling around on the ground. Uh, in Matthew's uh, account here, we see uh, the, um, you know, verse eighteen goes on to say Jesus rebuked the demon. So this man says, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic." That's that's fascinating, right? So another. Indication of potential demonic presence is seizures, but Jesus considers it a demon. demon. He said it was a demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour, verse 18 goes on to say. Back to Mark 5, notice that this uh, demon-possessed man was self-destructive and self-mutilating. He was cutting himself with stones, verse 5 uh, says. And we see similar self-destructive, self-mutilating behavior in Mark Chapter nine, with the the son, the man whose son had a mute spirit, he says he often has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this demon was trying to kill. Remember that's what Satan and his legion of demons does. They they come to kill, steal, and destroy. So this uh, son who was under demonic attack was being thrown into fire and into water in an attempt uh, to kill him. Back to Mark 5, I thought this was interesting and I would just describe this as uh, indicating that uh, demons recognize the spiritual realm because this uh, demon, Legion, says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Uh, they understand and, and see what we can't see. So even though often we assume that there's a physiological you know, or chemical explanation for uh, some of the things that we see happening, uh, mental illnesses, other types of behavior. Uh, in reality, it could be demonic. And we don't necessarily think about that right away. That's really why I'm trying to kind of go through hastily here these, you know these biblical examples just to kind of plant in your mind uh, these characteristics so that you might stop and go, hmm, I wonder, could this be, you know, could this be demonic? But even though our minds don't go there right away, um, in the spiritual realm, demons see it right away. So if, if God sends angels or if the prayers of the saints are calling on the name of the Lord, quoting scripture, following Jesus example, by the way, uh, you know, when he dealt with Satan in the wilderness by quoting scripture, if we do that, these you know, spiritual, spiritually evil entities, these demons are going to see that in the unseen realm and they're going to uh, flee, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, uh, James tells us. So I thought that one was uh, interesting. And then uh, again, they acknowledge God's power because he goes on to say, do not torment me. You know, he understands that God can torment him, that God controls him and God can, uh, you know, overcome him. Uh, and then back to Mark chapter, uh, five, the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine. And so as we talked about a moment ago, here's an example where um, demons may manifest as animals or humans. And so, you know, we know they may manifest as that. They can also influence, uh, Animals. Have you ever had your dogs? We've had this happen uh, often since we moved to the mountains, uh, you know, seven years ago. We haven't lived in the uh, mountainous area the entire seven years. I think for about a year we lived in a rented uh, property in a subdivision. But most of our time here in Colorado has been at elevation in the trees. And uh, I can't tell you how many times our dogs would go crazy. And, you know, we know sometimes, you know, because we would catch it on a game camera the next day, it might have been a mountain lion going by or bears that they could sense before we saw them. Could be other animals or a lot of, you know, logical explanations that don't require some type of spiritual or supernatural, uh, you know, reason. But I also believe animals can sense things in the unseen realm. And the Bible uh, uh, teaches that. Uh, so, you know, uh, we, we see... Lots of examples, uh, if you take the time to research it, of demons that are not shape-shifting necessarily in becoming a human or an animal, but they are visible in, in some type of an what some people would call an apparition. We don't believe, you know, see, the the conventional wisdom is that ghosts are the disembodied spirits of dead people. Well, that's unbiblical completely. It's appointed on a man once to die. After this, the judgment, the body goes to the grave. The soul goes either to heaven or hell. And we don't have people floating back and forth from heaven or hell to the earthly realm of time, space, and, and matter. But certainly demons, and potentially angels, by the way, can manifest in a way that would look like other uh, human beings and uh, they can also you know you know not necessarily shapeshift but actually just uh, take on a a vague semblance or form and so here's an example this is out of Australia uh, again I, I think it was a nanny cam a baby cam uh, where uh, this is about a one minute clip but this is another pretty frightening I mean, we're not supposed to be afraid, but let's just be honest. This this really, you know, makes you wonder, and it, and it just I think exposes the reality of the spiritual realm, which is what we're talking about here. So watch this uh, from a baby's crib in Australia. My
2: grandma has caught something quite terrifying in her granddaughter's room. Tori McKenzie is begging for help online after capturing what she describes as a demon standing over her grandchild's bed. Miss Mackenzie set up a motion-activated camera at her son's house after complaints his two-year-old daughter, Amber, was talking to something unseen in the middle of the night. The grandma checked her camera's app days later to find a bone-chilling image of a figure standing very close to her sleeping grandchildren with what she described as it having a horn on its head and long claws. The creature is captured standing awkwardly looking upwards just before 3 a.m., Ms. Mackenzie says when she tried to rid the house of the evil presence by burning oils, she claimed cabinets and curtains opened and closed, and music began to play by itself. The grandmother insists the discovery has left her fearing for her grandchildren's lives, and that the photo is real and could not be photoshopped, because she does not have the technical know-how to change the image.
0: Yeah, I love how the the, uh, newscaster kind of chuckles at the end there. But uh, yeah, who knows? Again, I'm not suggesting these are real. I have no way to, to, you know, validate them or not. But uh, all I'm saying is that biblically, they could be real. These could be uh, demonic manifestations. Let's look at a few more before we wrap up for tonight. Here's a Luke 8, uh, Luke's account of the Gadarene incident. And notice he says, this man who was demon possessed wore no clothes. And so often, you know, uh, this fascination with being naked or and maybe clothed inappropriately, suggestively, uh, immodestly, perversely uh, could be an indication of some type of demonic activity. Boy, don't we see that happening today. I mean, we've got TV shows about, you know, naked and afraid. I mean, two things that are inherently satanic. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is of the devil, not God. And, you know, walking around naked is, you know, demonic as we see uh, here. Uh, And then uh, this is again back to the man who had a son with a mute spirit. He was foaming at the mouth or gnashing his teeth. Again, evidence that you could be dealing with some type of demonic uh, presence in the room or involved with this individual. Uh, In Luke chapter 4, notice this. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Uh, What does that tell us? The demonic activity can be even found in gatherings of God's people. And that's something uh, to really let sink in for a moment. Remember, Paul said in the latter times, people will fall prey to doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Well, is it possible that they're getting misled and getting the false teaching that is being prompted by demons within the four walls of the church? Absolutely. I believe that's the case. Um, And that's why I believe that, you know, it's so important that churches stay in the word, be rooted in the word, pray, stand firmly on the and unapologetically on the infallible and errant word of God, because where the word of God is, demons will flee. But in the apostate church, absolutely, it's an open door for these uh, demonic presences. And then we've got uh, uh, one more here uh, also from Mark 19 Uh, Notice he's called the the, uh, his son had a mute spirit. And so I think another potential again, I'm not suggesting in any way that these are hard, fast rules that if if you see one of these characteristics, you can automatically assume you're dealing with a deep demon. Not at all. some people can't speak because of physical reasons, biological reasons. You know, they could be hit in the head with a softball at a softball game, and it causes a brain injury such that they can't talk. I mean, these are the kinds of things that just happen as part of being in this body of uh, you know flesh sold under sin. But uh, here, at least in this case, it was demonically uh, influenced, and uh, you know, so that's something to keep on the list. And by the way, another. Manifestation that you might sort of extrapolate from this, though the text doesn't deal with it explicitly, is telepathic communication. Uh, we saw that in some of the encounters, like in, in the BEKs, the Black Eyed Kids, you know, and and, and lots with UFOs, many UFO encounters. Uh, you know, p- people will say they they had a sense of communicating telepathically. I get into that in the section in chapter ten of Spear of the Antichrist, volume two, with my account of the interview that I did with Paul Miller, a fascinating interview. And he talks about how, you know, the encounter that he had, he could see, could just tell there was communication going on, but nobody was speaking. So, uh, so that's just a quick overview of some of the examples that we have in scripture of demonic possession. So We're in the broad category of what does the evil spirit look like. And we've talked about how it can manifest and shapeshift as an animal. It can shapeshift into a human form. It can actually possess a real human. An actual human being can be possessed or influenced by demons. Uh, Another manifestation that we talked about last week but bears repeating because it falls under this category is sometimes you might be dealing with a hybrid, a Nephilim. It's still an evil spirit. It's not human, but it, it's not a, you know, a shapeshift situation where an, a demon, uh, an evil spirit of some kind, you know, turns into another form, nor is it a, an actual human being that's being influenced or possessed by a demon, but it is actually another class of a being. It's a hybrid, part human, part demonic uh, individual. And uh, we talked about that last week, so I won't go back and repeat that. So we are, uh, we are out of time uh, for tonight. Um, uh, I used up the uh, question and answer time since we weren't meeting live and just extended my teaching time. I hope you uh, don't mind that, that I uh, took that liberty. Uh, but next week, we'll continue with how the stage is being set demonically. And we're going to look at some other paranormal uh, manifestations And uh, just, you know, again, demonic in nature, evil spirit in nature, those kinds of uh, kinds of things. So uh, thanks for watching tonight. Just a couple of quick uh, uh, announcements, if I may. Uh, Last Sunday's message, uh, I think, uh, you know, has been encouraging to a lot of people. If you've not watched that yet, go back and check out Anchor of the Soul, the Anchor of the Soul. Uh, My article also uh, from last week uh, is uh, Satan an ill-fated interloper? Short article. All of my devotions are short. Just hopefully you'll find encouragement in that. Uh, today I had the privilege uh, of being on uh, Lee Valentine stand-up today with Lee Valentine. A really interesting interview. Uh, it's it's funny how the Lord opens different doors. These are not uh, you know people that I had any prior connection with, but somehow uh, they were. I was recommended to them, and they reach out, and I did a live radio interview uh, or actually video interview with her. Uh, today. Uh, And I'm calling it the rising tide of the Antichrist in these last days because that's kind of what she talked about and and the questions that uh, she asked me. So you can check that out. We just have the audio version of that on our podcast channel. Uh, Don't forget tomorrow uh, you can watch for our weekly world events update with Randy. We're going to record that in the morning. It'll be posted before noon, at least here, mountain time. Uh, I want to remind you, too, that our good friends at Red Pill Prints, they're so gracious, so kind to us. Uh, We have gotten ordered a number of uh, uh, the different uh, products that they have. You've seen me wearing some of them uh, and uh, our cups and things like that. Encourage you to check them out. You can go to our website, click on the merchandise banner on the highlight carousel there, and see what they have to offer. It'd be a blessing to them, I know, but it's also a blessing uh, to Not Buy Works because it it's a way for you to get the message out, uh, drive people to the resources that we have that are free—our videos and podcasts and devotionals. But also, if you're wearing a sweatshirt or a shirt or a hat or something or drinking coffee from a mug that says NBW Ministries, uh, it's, it's pretty likely that someone's going to say, hey, what's NBW? And that's when you can say, well, it stands for not by works, and that's the only way you can be saved, not by works, but by grace through faith. So it's a great opportunity to talk about the gospel. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to uh, my next uh, major event, the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. It'll be our 14th annual conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've been speaking there for seven years, and uh, Dr. Andy Woods will be there, Dr. Tommy Ice, uh, Joe Martin, Charlie Ming. I've never worked with Laura Perry Smalls, but that's going to be a fascinating Presentation as she's going to tell her story about coming out of the transgender uh, lifestyle. Uh, I'll be speaking twice at the conference. Love to have you come out if you're anywhere near there or even if you want to take a road trip from uh, Colorado. Come on out and join us on May 26th and 27th at the Marriott Tulsa in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can click uh, the conference page, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, events page on our website or the highlight carousel has this very banner that you see on the screen there and you can talk about you can learn more about that and then finally uh before we uh, say goodbye for tonight uh, we've gotten lots of requests over the years for our nbw ministries preparedness guide that 12 page document that we put together years and years ago we've revised it many times through the years Uh, so we finally just went in and posted it Uh, if you scroll through the highlight carousel on our homepage, you'll come to a slide that looks like this you click on that slide Don't click on this slide on the video because this video is not interactive. But if you go to our website and click on it, uh, you'll be able to download it immediately to your mobile device or to your uh, computer. So thanks again, uh, everyone, for tuning in tonight. And uh, sorry we weren't able to meet in person, but we will uh, continue again next week, Lord willing, in person with the stage being set uh, demonically. Until then, God bless, and we will see you next time.